to speak the truth frankly and boldly. Nor need we shrink from honestly facing conditions in our country today. This great nation will endure as it has endured, will revive and will prosper. So first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat. Hey there, this is Della Rucker, principal of the Wise Economy Workshop and author of The Local Economy Revolution Has Arrived, What's Changed and How You Can Help. I'm excited to share with you this conversation today because it's with one of the people I find so insightful and so brilliant in this space. And it's also someone I've had on this show before, and I suspect strongly we'll have on again. Theodora Skiatis is the executive director of Cambridge Local First, which is an independent business alliance in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Now, as I said, I've had Theo on this show before. She is exceptional. She is energetic. She is is wonderful to have these kind of conversations with, but I don't usually repeat people that quickly. So why have Theo on again? Well, in the process of working on something else, I learned that Theo's organization, Cambridge Local First, has developed a a strategy and, and a, a policy for being an advisor to their local government. So like most cities, Cambridge has a city council and it has city staffers who have responsibility for laws and regulations and policies and processes that impact small business owners. Typically, Organizations like Theo's might advocate when there is a big issue that comes up that is going to impact their membership, typically small business owners in that community. But most organizations like this don't really have the bandwidth to engage in the development of policy on a more proactive basis. And to be honest, Theo's organization doesn't have that kind of bandwidth either. She has two part-time staff people, including herself. Nevertheless, because Theo is creative and resilient, and she just finds a way to get stuff done, they are directly influencing and upstream influencing their city's public policy. And I think that this is a great lesson for organizations of all types that touch local organiz- local issues, rather. A lot of times we say that we don't have time, we don't have the people, we don't have enough knowledge, something, something, something. Or we get afraid that by being involved in public policy that we're somehow going to run afoul of our nonprofit status. Theo's example is going to show us through Cambridge Local First how we can actually have that kind of impact. 
Theo is an incredible woman. She is a Harvard graduate out of the Kennedy School of Public Policy. She worked internationally in policy and intelligence for a decade before deciding to return to Cambridge and undertake this work with Cambridge Local First. She's also been active in local politics and Theo is currently putting her money where her mouth is and running for Cambridge City Council. And regardless of how that goes, I think we're going to be hearing a whole lot more from came from Cambridge Local First and I'm definitely sure that the City Council of Cambridge is going to be hearing a lot more from Cambridge Local First. So let's spend some time with Theo and let's learn how they're getting this done. If you enjoy what you hear today, I've got a few more recommendations for you. One of the places that I talk about ongoing issues and emerging issues and new ideas in this work of creating resilient, future-ready communities is on my Substack, which is wiseeconomy.substack.com. That has some great benefits, including a weekly digest, a quarterly journal, and access to other special events and materials. In addition to that, if this kind of thing lights your fire, chances are you'd really enjoy my new book, The Local Economy Revolution Has Arrived, What's Changed and How You Can Help. That's available anywhere you get books, anywhere you order books particularly. I've got a particularly special arrangement with gumroad.com, lulu.com, and you can also get it on Amazon pretty easily. So again, just look for The Local Economy Revolution Has Arrived, and you'll be able to get it there. And finally, just a reminder that this is one of a series of interviews called Accelerate Us, Dispatches from the Front Lines of the Local Economy Revolution. The name of the podcast series that this is a part of is Building a Wise Local Economy. And you can find these podcasts on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, and any place else you get your podcasts. You can also find the videos on YouTube. Just look for Della Rucker or Wise Economy. So without further ado, here is the great conversation that I had with Theo. I think you're going to enjoy this one. I hope it charges you up. And at the end of this, I hope you're ready to go get it. Thanks. So hi there. Thank you for hi. joining us today. Hi, Theo. I'm Della Rucker. I am the principal of the Wise Economy Workshop and content partner to the American Independent Business Alliance. And I'm delighted today to be able to talk to Theodora Scadis, who is the executive director of the of Cambridge Local First, which is an independent business alliance based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And we're talking today about a really intriguing initiative that Cambridge Local First has decided to take on, despite the fact, and perhaps because of the fact, that this is not an organization that 
has exhaustive resources. So I thought it would be really fascinating today to get a chance to talk with Theo about what this new initiative is and why and how this very small local organization is making this happen. So Theo, thank you so much. I really appreciate your taking the time. Uh, you are an extraordinarily busy woman. You are also now running for council in Cambridge. So, um, you know, it, it, it amazes me sometimes that you can um, find time to sit down and chat with me. But, uh, but thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show, Della. It's nice to be here. Great. So, um, or should I go ahead? Yeah, if you want to, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about, uh, particularly about Cambridge, let's start by talking about Cambridge Local first. Mm -hmm. So just, just for people who um, aren't familiar with IBAs, let's give them a high level of, of what your mission is, but also mm -hmm. if we could give them a little bit of a picture of what the organization looks like as an organization so that they realize that this is not a, you know, a 50 person staff operation. Yeah, that sounds good. And is it helpful? Um, there are like resources that I can share as well. Um, so I'm happy to screen share if you want, if you think that's helpful. Uh, let's think? talk for today and yeah, then we can sure. share. We'll, so when this is posted, mm -hmm. we'll put the resources in the comments. Um, okay. I think that'll, that'll, uh, that'll work well. Go ahead. Sounds great. Okay. So um, yeah, so Cambridge Local First is an independent business alliance. That means that we are a collective of locally and independently owned businesses, as well as some nonprofits in Cambridge, Massachusetts. We have about 500 members, which means we have approximately 450 business members, maybe 25 nonprofit members and 25 community members. So we've also opened up membership to community members in the last year. And our members receive uh, three kinds of services from us. So we have a three-pronged value proposition. Uh, the first prong is business services. So we provide technical assistance, trainings, connections. Uh, we have a membership directory for the public. We have all kinds of services that we offer businesses. Whenever they reach out and they have a question, we try to try to support them um, in whatever it is that they need. So if they need you know, facilitation resources because they're having a hard time negotiating a lease with their landlord, we can connect them to resources. Um, if they want help you know, improving their SEO, search engine optimization for their website, we have somebody who can help them do that. Um, so that's the first prong of our value proposition. And the second prong is that we do education to the public on why they should shop locally. The public, the, the consumers are a big piece of this puzzle. And um, without consumers, um, informed on why they should be shopping locally as opposed to going to uh, Target or Starbucks or Amazon. Um, we, we spend a lot of our, our resources educating the public through before COVID in-person activities, um, now virtual activities we present at neighborhood association meetings. We um, do seminars to the public. We have a bi-weekly community conversation series. And we also do a, a huge amount of social media uh, education efforts across our Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter channels. And then the third piece of this puzzle is that we do policy work, um, but historically we haven't done as much. Um, we've really emphasized the first two and we haven't really invested in the third. 
So the third, what we've attempted to do is to support city councilors when they're creating policy orders um, that affect small businesses and, and serving as a resource to the city, whether it's uh, city staff or city council, um, when they have questions that affect small businesses. But historically, again, it hasn't been um, a huge part of our work. And to give you a sense of our size, so um, for the longest time, we've just been one staff member. We did just bring on a second staff member, an associate director to help manage our programming and partnerships. Um, so we're two people, um, although both of us is actually part-time. Um, so we, we do a lot in the time that's allotted to us, but collectively we're approximately one to one and a half full-time uh, employees, FTEs. So we don't have a huge amount of financial resources. The reason that we're not full-time is that we're pretty limited in our financial resources. But what we have um, really tapped into is the incredible network of people that exist in Cambridge. So during COVID, we probably worked with 100 volunteers over the course of the year, especially in spring 2020. And um, we now have uh, an internship program that we are really excited to be participating in called the Resilient Local Economies Internship Program. So that is a program, program offered in partnership with the Sustainable Business Network of Massachusetts, which is a statewide independent business alliance, and then the American Independent Business Alliance, which is national. So in the summer, and then again in the fall, and now in the spring, we have 15 interns who are working with us to support local businesses at the local, state, and national levels concurrently. So we have incredible partnerships with these organizations, these interns, and, and NGOs, nonprofits that are in Cambridge um, and, and elsewhere too. Um, and so we rely heavily on our partnerships to help implement the work that we're doing. So that's a little bit of context about us, our value proposition. And then last, I can I can describe how we're transitioning to um, greater um, activity in the policy space. So um, the idea arose in December when, um, through a series of conversations with my board chair, who is also my running partner, I realized that, um, we realized, really, Susan um, realized that the approach that we've taken to date is somewhat piecemeal. Um, supporting independent businesses is an incredible thing to be doing, but it's only supporting one business at a time. It's kind of like the analogy of the boy who's walking down the beach and throws the starfish back into the water. Um, it's not systemic. It's not a rising tide that lifts all boats. It's um, individual interventions that support individual organizations. And so the hope is that we can really amplify our policy work because it's it's systemic. It's these are interventions that lift all boats. And so what we're trying to do is a it's a multifaceted approach. We're trying to work with the city of Cambridge to create a survey to understand what the needs are that businesses have. We've done a literature review and we've identified a series of objectives and actions that fall under each of those objectives that are policy focused. And what we wanna do is collect feedback from businesses about what policies would be most meaningful to them. Once we're armed with the information that um, the survey will provide us, we wanna work more closely with city councilors to identify how to implement these policies in the Cambridge context. Already, we've set up recurring monthly meetings where we're meeting now with city councilors. We just started with our first meeting a few weeks ago, um, actually last week. And um, we're, we're setting up recurring meetings to, um, to be more proactive with them um, in voicing the needs of small businesses. Because historically what has happened is they'll reach out to us once a policy order is created, but 
at that point, it's a little bit too late for us to give substantive feedback because it's already been made public. And once a policy order is made public, it's harder to give feedback and make those changes because it's a public process. Um, and so there are more eyes watching the process. And so the idea is that we want to be proactive and, and have influence in the construction of the policy orders before they're created. And then the second piece is that it's not just the city council that is um, impactful in this space, it's also the city administration. So there are all these departments um, that heavily impact um, the experience of small businesses and their ability to succeed. And so we also wanna partner this approach with greater engagement and communication with um, city staff. So um, we've also set up a recurring meeting with the assistant to the city manager uh, because we have a strong city manager model um, the city manager is ultimately the one who makes decisions, not city councils, the city councilors or the mayor. Um, so we're also trying to build those relationships. Okay, I'll pause there. No, that's fabulous, fabulous. Yeah. So, so you said something a minute ago that was like, like you know, music to my ears, which, which was that part of what was driving this was a realization that reactive response wasn't making the impact that the organization was looking for. And the second piece being that one-off services to individual businesses had a role, but it was not creating the, the context. And, you know, like it, it doesn't matter whether you're an I at a certain level, it doesn't matter whether you're an IBA or you're a city economic development director, you're never going to have enough resources, enough human power enough time to be able to provide you know one-on-one -on -one help to every single business in the community you probably don't even have enough to add to do that for everybody if everybody asked you have 400 you said 450 business members mm -hmm. if they all started yeah. asking you for help you'd you'd be up a creek um That's so right. So, so that perception that the the response that a, a a portion of the response needed to be systemic, I thought, is is incredibly insightful, and all the more so, given the the constrained resources that your organization has. Um, so, I want to dig a little bit more into the question um, of 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 how you're you're starting this process so let's let's talk about the interaction with council first of all now you see it appears at least as an outsider that you've had a very positive relationship with your city council by and large they're never all sunshine and roses but that you've had a really uh, it, it's not a confrontational relationship as we see it sometimes in communities where where and i'm sure there are areas or or kind of sectors of cambridge where you know that relationship is more confrontational but or issues or whatever um but when it comes to to dealing you you've already got a good relationship with them how did did the council feel about the organization stepping forward and saying, we want to play a more proactive role with you. We want to do this survey and we want it to come out from the city, not from us. What was what was council's um, reaction to that? 
Yeah, well, it's an ongoing process. It's very much in the works. So some of it is is to be determined because, um, for example, I'm hoping to speak with our um, assistant to the city manager about the survey later today. So I'll keep you posted on that piece. Um, I would say, so part of the why we have such good relationships with city councilors is that um, myself, our board members, our members have been very active members of the community for a long time. So we're not um, new to this ecosystem. We are longstanding standing players. For example, I actually um, managed the city council campaign of the woman who is now our mayor when she ran for her first city council um, yeah, candidacy in 2017. So she and I have a very good relationship because I helped get her elected. Um, so she's someone that she, you know, I know I can call because I managed her campaign um, when it when it really mattered. Um, similarly, uh, some city councilors were past nonprofit executive directors who worked closely with our organization in the past. Um, Patty Nolan was board chair to the Sustainable Business Network of Massachusetts for many years. Um, I think Quinton Zondervan was executive director of Green Cambridge and also a co-founder of Climate Action Business Association and Climate Exchange, which are two statewide organizations in Massachusetts alongside Susan LaVandabar, our board chair. So the people who are on city council are not novel players. They, they've, many of them have been integrated into this network for, for decades, actually much longer than I have been. Um, so, so that's part of why we have a good relationship. Um, and we're also blessed with city councilors who are by and large, very informed, proactive and well-intended. Um, I think they, the idea of our becoming more vocal in this space has been met with relief and, and um, gratitude actually, because it's, it doesn't serve anyone for city councilors to create policies without a good consultation process. Um, they do it only because they, I think, are pressed for time and and don't realize that we are here to support them. But when they when they make policies in haste, our businesses push back um, if they're policies that are are harmful to their interests. And so by working more closely together before policies are made public, we can actually um, make their jobs easier because then on Mondays or in advance of a Monday city council meeting, they're not getting dozens of phone calls from constituents complaining about policies. Their, um, their, their policies will be more successful. They'll be approved at a, you know, at a larger rate and, and they'll be more supported by the community. So it's actually a process that will support them just as much as it will support us. Um, as to the, um, the city, city staff, um, those are relationships that we're building um, from a newer place. And so those are relationships that are taking longer to build, but we've made a lot of progress in the last year and I'm seeing growth and, and movement um, with each passing month. So I, I think that they will be receptive. It's just a, a longer process. The part of what you're, what you've done in <laughs> both the, the, on the, on the elected official side and now on the, the, um, the staff side or the, yeah. the the appointed official side is yeah. that you're kind of forcing a change in the paradigm. You are, yeah. you know, yeah. for city council members, um, historically, we've had a model where people are expected to sort of invent policy and then bring it to the public for for some kind of blessing. And increasingly, as people are more and more um, deeply informed, 
mm-hmm. not always well informed, but but certainly in a lot of cases much more knowledgeable or opinionated about mm-hmm. what's going on in their community, and especially yeah. in a place like Cambridge, where yeah. you know you you have some you know working with university cities is university towns is you know I always found to be a little bit of a a tough challenge as a consultant working with Cambridge with Harvard MIT and everybody else is like I know, oh my gosh. Bring, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly but the the public policy process that we have so often set up is precisely what you describe and being able to give those those elected officials some help you know before it gets out into the public arena so that it goes forward with some public support i think is a really really brilliant way to get at that question for the for the appointed officials and staff uh it's also a paradigm shakeup to have you guys coming in and saying we want to be help to this process and again it's it's a structure that we've built up that so often is problematic. So I want to dig a little bit into one of the other things that that you said, um, which you talked about the literature review. And that's a a very good Cambridge way of saying it. Uh, (laughs) In the rest of the country, we would probably, not all the rest of the country, but for a lot of us, we would call that, you know, research best practices, you know, things like that. But having that, doing that research, if everybody wants to say I'm a special unicorn and we're just going to have our own things that we do. What has that research process looked like? And has it, have you had any um, insights from it to date? Yeah, it's a great question. So, um, the research process, um, or what we call the literature review <laughs> in Cambridge, um, has, has been pretty I don't cool. mean to um, No, it's okay. <laughs> um, can, you, can you hear me okay? The connection. Oh, absolutely. Okay, great. Um, so the literature review, or, yeah, the research process um, is, is ongoing. Um, we pulled insights from two primary sources. Um, the Institute for Local Self-Reliance and Michael Schumann. Um, so for those who don't know, the Institute for Local Self-Reliance operates as a think tank in this space. Um, they are a national organization headquartered in Portland, Maine, that um, is co-managed by Stacey Mitchell, who has become a very vocal advocate for local businesses and really um, anti-monopoly efforts. Um, and, she, and she's brought together independent business alliance executive directors from around the country and we're now participating in a policy process at the at the federal level. So she's a real visionary, um, and the work that she's doing, we are trying to bring to the local level. So ILSR, the Institute for Local Self Reliance, has a series of recommendations, uh, and Michael Schumann, who is another prominent thinker in this space, a professor and a real advocate, a multi-decade advocate for small businesses, um, is also. Um, has recommended many, many policies. And so what we've done is consolidated their policies and streamlined some of them um, for a Cambridge context. So we have a whole series of recommendations around what, um, what 
make sense for the Cambridge context. And what we're hoping to do is put these into a survey that is then shared with small businesses around the city. That's a challenge because then you've got to give them enough of an explanation of those policies that they can they can respond. Um, and and so so that is still in development from what I get. Yes. Yes, it's okay. a it's in development. Mm -hmm. Okay. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, are there policies that, and, and I know this is getting cart ahead of horse a little bit, but you're you're very knowledgeable in this space. You you've you've had help from include from volunteers, including some of the resilient local economy interns. And I want to get to to that in just a minute because I think that's a first of all that's something we want to offer to to the other IBAs, but that's also um, I think a, a great example of how you have leveraged resources far beyond the human hours that you have available on your payroll. Uh, but before we get there, are there policies that you have come across in that research that you're like particularly going like, oh, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, guys, like this one, like this one, let's do this one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so providing quick re relief to keep businesses afloat. Um, and I know that the um, the federal uh, package that was just approved mm -hmm. um, and will be shared with cities over the coming weeks is a really good example of this. Um, but as we've forced businesses to close, they're not able to take in revenue. Um, and so if we're requiring them to shut their doors or to have diminished capacity, it really needs to be complemented with a um, a series of financial um, support that allow them to stay afloat. Otherwise, they won't make it. And, and that's part of why, as of November 2020, 37% of the small businesses in Massachusetts had closed um, permanently. 37%? I think so. That's what a report um, that was published by a group of Harvard researchers said. I can share it with you. Um, yeah, a huge number of businesses were forced to close their doors um, because they didn't receive the support that they need. And so if we're going to require businesses to shut their doors um, and, and you know, public health dictates that we do so, then we need to provide corresponding relief. Um, and that doesn't just have to come at the federal level. It can also come at the local levels. Um, and so that's something that we've been advocating for. There was a policy order a week ago in Cambridge that recommended that um, capacity at restaurants and music venues be, be diminished from 50 to 25%. Um, and, and we pushed back, we said, if that's gonna happen, there has to be corresponding relief that is offered to these businesses because um, otherwise they won't make it, they'll just close their doors permanently. And, and it's not just, what we try to remind our electeds is that it's not just businesses, these are people whose entire livelihoods are dependent on the revenue of these businesses combined with um, the people that they employ. The, you know, around the country, small, medium-sized businesses employ 50% of working Americans. And so it's um, it's not just the business owners, but the, the often very vulnerable people who they employ, um, who are often people of color. And so it's very closely connected to issues of race and racial justice. Um, so providing quick relief to businesses is something that we've advocated for. Um, we were really excited to see in Germany last fall, um, the German federal government 
did provide this kind of relief on a very intentional and systematic basis. So every business was given up to 75% of its revenues from the previous year when they were being forced to close. And this way they were able to continue payroll, continue supporting their staff and stay open despite mm -hmm. their short-term close closures. Um, so also there are ways that we can help businesses adapt and pivot um, by providing them with resources that will um, help them adapt more readily to, um, to the changing landscape in which they find themselves. Um, so those are, those are some. Um, I also think there's a really close connection to greener business practices. So identifying avenues for greater environmental um, sustainability for small businesses is something that we want to prioritize. Right. Great. Yeah. So one of the reasons why you've been able to, to do so much in this space and, and not just in the public policy space, but in all of the other um, work that that you've done at CLF. And, you know, if we were going to take more time on it, we could spend a lot of time talking about the the holiday guide and the other, you know, the, the very extensive number of initiatives and programs and events and, and, and everything that you guys put on. Uh, and because of the internship program that um, I play a small role in, I get your calendar and a lot of your calendar invites. And I go, holy mackerel, they're, they're doing another thing. <laughs> and then, didn't they just have, okay. Um, but so, so, and we, you and I have talked a little bit on a, on a previous interview last year about your process for managing. We kind of got into the nuts and bolts of how you, yeah. you manage interns and, and you just, you, you know, you're, you seem to resonate to kind of designing that kind of process. So it was, you know, it was so much fun to talk about that. And I'll, I'll link to that as well. But you also, you know, you've been very intentional about creating those kind of resources. Mm -hmm. So can we talk a little bit about the role that the resilient local economy interns have been playing in this work and kind of specifically what benefits you may be getting from having them do that versus, you know, board members or other random volunteers or, you know, yourself at yeah. two in the morning, which you don't do, which is probably why you can do all this other stuff. So, so, Kind of, kind of help us understand what benefits there have been from from that that intern crew. Yeah, yeah, great question. Uh, so I can highlight some of the projects that our interns have done. I mean, it's it's pretty impressive. It's it's so exciting to see the breadth of projects that they've undertaken. Um, and so um, some of the projects that they've done um, include last fall. Our interns um, managed a um, Move Your Money campaign for the month of November. And one of those interns is now also managing our Move Your Money campaign for this upcoming May, um, which will amplify our community banking institutions. Um, interns also managed. 
sorry, can you explain briefly what Move Your Money is for folks yeah, who are sure. familiar with that? Yeah, Move Your Money is a campaign that a lot of independent business alliances do because financial institutions are a big part of the picture. So um, there has been multi-decade bank consolidation over the last 50 years, which means that now four banks control what thousands of banks used to control in terms of financial assets. And so this multi-decade bank consolidation has had many effects, but one of the effects is diminished resources devoted to small businesses because loans that are given to local businesses are generally not as um, fruitful as those that, that can be played with in other ways. And so um, part of why we've seen declining entrepreneurship in the United States over the last 50 years is that um, there has been uh, a decline in the number of, of community financial institutions that are the kinds of businesses that think that most give loans to small businesses. And there is also a real connection here to racial justice because community institutions are much more likely to give banks to, um, to business owners of color and immigrant business owners. Um, those people are less likely to have um, connections to uh, larger banking institutions and, and also they're just far, further down on their list of priorities. Um, and so this, this came up as an issue in the first round of PPP funding because it required um, a pre-existing relationship with the banker. Um, the banker had to help file the application. And for a lot of uh, business owners of color, especially black business owners, they, they didn't have those banking relationships. And so something that we did as a, an activity of our Move Your Money campaign in November was to, to have a, an event specifically geared toward black business owners um, to bolster banking relationships with our three primary uh, Cambridge area banks, Cambridge Savings Bank, Cambridge Trust Company, and East Cambridge Savings Bank. And these are also three organizations that invest very heavily in Cambridge Local First. Um, so part of why we're here today really is their support. I mean, they their support it helps lift up our organization tremendously. So that's that's Move Your Money. It's a, it's a month-long campaign that's focused on educating the public on why they should be uh, banking locally, why they should be moving their money to a local bank or, or a credit union. So having students, and in this case, we're talking largely undergraduate students. This program has had some high school students coming from a Cambridge mm -hmm. relationship and, you know, some master's, MBA, um, and some PhD students. The majority have been undergraduates. Mm -hmm. How are they able to, to help with this, these initiatives and do you think those results are different from what you would be getting if you, you know, had a board member doing it or, um, you know, a volunteer who looked more like me? Yeah, I think, I mean, everyone brings their own resources and experiences to the table. I think our board members are, are better situated in fostering relationships because they are themselves business owners. And so they, they bring the experience of a business owner to the table. And so they have built relationships and, and a perspective that's very informed on the challenges that local businesses are facing and the kinds of interventions that we can make to be most helpful. So I find that our, our board members are able to provide strategic guidance um, in a way that our interns are generally not as well equipped to do. But interns who tend to be younger than our board members 
are um, very well suited to um, doing the work of design and social media and and emails and, and facilitation. Like interns are able to do a lot of the work that um, helps move the die move things move things forward. Um, so. Yeah, I, I think that they play a different role and volunteers are helpful as well, but there's a kind of accountability that I often find is more present in volunteer in interns, especially summer interns, because they've made a real commitment to this issue and to working in this space. Um, whereas with volunteers, um, usually their assistance is less systematic and less sustained, although not always. We have some volunteers who've helped us on a on a very long period. Um, and then, of course, volunteers can become interns and volunteers can become staff um, and volunteers can become board members. So there's a, a huge amount of fluidity between the different roles that people play yeah. in the ecosystem. Yeah. And interns hopefully become board members Leaders. and, you know, yeah. volunteers yeah. as well. And occasionally. Right. Right. So yeah. so to to wrap up a little bit, as you look forward with um let's go back to the public policy work um to the the public policy initiative the cambridge local first is is spearheading um where do you see that going in the next let's call it year or two years yeah that's a great question um it's hard to say because we're so we're really just beginning this path um, but I think what, what I would love to see is Cambridge Local First as like, just like ILSR is becoming a real voice for local businesses nationally, I'd love to see the city prioritize CLF when making any decision that impacts small businesses, because historically we are an afterthought and not a first thought, or, or maybe we're thought about, but, but not consulted directly. And so, um, I'd love to see the city move in the direction of, of bringing in small businesses through Cambridge Local First as, as a primary vehicle for consultation whenever they're making a decision that has meaningful impact on small businesses. Um, because that has not happened to date. And I and I think that everyone is worse off for that oversight. So I think um, yeah, having real influence in the policy process and and the city decision making process where issues affect local businesses. Beautiful. Beautiful. So if people want to learn more about Cambridge Local First, um, where should they go? www.cambridgelocalfirst.org. And when you go to that site, you'll learn much more about this organization that I think is really one of the most forward thinking, um, certainly has been one of the most creative in terms of finding new ways to problem solve. And again, it, it's easy a lot of times for folks to say, oh, well, you know, they that's the Harvard people. And, you know, I've, my little town, we don't have Harvard. So, you know, oh, I this is all, what does this have to do with, with my situation? But the extraordinary thing that I've seen um, just observing Cambridge Local First has been your ability to to just find solutions, and it's not that 
they fall out of the tree to you because, oh, we're living in the land of, you know, brainiacs. Mm -hmm. But you're going out and finding them and recruiting them and bringing solutions into the fold. And if from what I've seen, it's a variation on a theme. What Cambridge Local mm -hmm. First has been able to do is unique to Cambridge, but it's also, it's a process of leveraging what you've got available to you that every community has assets that it can leverage to advance its initiatives. And ISLR, and Michael Schumann's work, and yeah. the American Independent Business Alliance, these are all resources that are available to anyone. And yeah, absolutely. I think um, I, I would say that that all resonates. Um, we are, I think, learning how to be resourceful, learning how to identify resources, and also recognize that that partnerships are so helpful and and mutually beneficial. So, for example, our internship program has been successful because interns also want to connect with independent business alliances around the country. They don't just want, God bless you, they don't just want to support Cambridge businesses. They want to support all businesses. And so recognizing that we're stronger together. I also think that the um, Broadway show Hamilton, um, the song, uh, "Not Th My Shot, where he says, um, hey, yo, I'm just like my country. I'm young, scrappy, and hungry, and I'm not throwing away my shot. I think that that <laughs> resonates a lot. <laughs> we're young, scrappy, and hungry. Um, and we're, we're trying to find resources that, you know, as, as they present themselves and take advantage of whatever opportunity comes our way. And young, scrappy and hungry is a great way to put it. I would also say that even for some of, um, you can be scrappy and hungry and not necessarily be all that young either. So that's right. Um, that's right. But, but yeah, if, 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 I think scrappy and hungry is a huge piece of it and not throwing away your shot. That's an awesome, awesome <laughs> way to wrap this up. Anytime you could quote Hamilton. Hamilton, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't so, often get an opportunity to quote Hamilton. I was like, wait a second, this is a perfect reference. I have to bring it in. <laughs> <laughs> Work that one in there one way or another. Awesome. Well, Theo, thanks a ton. And thank you so much for, for spending the time talking. I could always talk to you all day, and, and uh, but then you wouldn't get all that other good stuff done. All righty? So thank cool. you. If you'll stay on for just one second yeah. after I, I shut off. Um, Sounds good. I, uh, again, just thank you so much for spending the time with me. Of and, course. Yeah. And I always tell folks that are listening and, and hopefully getting charged up and ready to be uh, hungry and scrappy and not throw away their shot. It, you know, yeah. now's the time to go get them. So thanks. Yeah.